Welcome. This is My Truth is a platform for honest, open conversations. The stories I share or that others share are often not spoken about or discussed, but once told, I believe they have the ability to shine a light on another perspective or a much needed conversation. These stories may make us laugh, some may make us cry, but together we will learn from one another and begin to heal. Because walls need to be torn down, masks need to come off, stories need to be heard in order for our truths to be told. This is my truth. Will you tell me yours? Hello, hello, podcast world. Welcome back to This Is My Truth. I'm your host, Jesse Sherless, and it is the holidays. And so before I jump in to introduce the conversation that I have with my guest this week, which is Deborah Gibson, uh, who is amazing, but we'll get into that. I just want to send you all a very heartfelt thank you um, for an amazing year. It has been, I can't speak for anyone else but myself, but I can say that 2021 has been a roller coaster, a huge transitions in my life from leaving Google to moving our family across the country to my oldest starting kindergarten. And through it all, I am just so grateful for the connections and the friendships and the conversations that I've had with each of you. So for all of you who have reached out to say hi and let me know what the podcast has meant to you or given me feedback or just generally, you know, said hi. I love it and I'm just so, so very grateful and I hope that you have a restful and happy holiday season. Um, whether you celebrate Christmas or not, I hope that you're able to unplug during this break and do something for you and have a very happy and healthy bringing in of 2022. I cannot believe it's 2022. Anyway, side sidebar, but um, before I jump into introducing Deborah, I wanted to do a quick shout out for my upcoming workshop, Own Your Moments of Truth in 2022, which is being held on Friday, January 14th. And it's for any of you out there who have ever clenched your jaw um, when you're in a conversation, for anyone who has ever debated speaking up and and you know giving their opinion for anyone who's had or has a a fear of judgment or a fear of not being liked or a fear of um you know for myself it was i was always the loud one in my family the the opinionated one the one who um was the you know, not necessarily the troublemaker, but the one who was always going to like point out the the bullshit. And that was maybe because I was the oldest, the role I played in my family. And it made me really uncomfortable. And it held me back from, you know, as I got older and recognized that that wasn't necessarily uh, acceptable, quote unquote, in society. The Quinn is next to me. Um, so you might hear some background noise from her. But so this workshop is for anyone who, as you look to 2022, you're sick of the, the um, you're ready to shed some of those um, stories and beliefs and really come into your own and recognize how your moments of truth are really going to, um, when you own them, they're no longer owning you. And so Go ahead to my website, go to jessiesherleff.com backslash workshops, 
um, sorry, backslash this is my truth workshop and um, check it out. And I'll also include the link in the show notes as well. So now I want to introduce my friend, Deborah Gibson. So this is such a wonderful conversation and I know you are all going to love it. And what we really end up talking about is at the end of the day, um, how do we overcome the boxes that we've all sort of put ourselves in? So for me, right, that looks like the expectations that my family had for me. You know, I went to the good school, I got the good job, I rose the corporate ladder, but something about all of that didn't feel aligned. It didn't feel like I was living for myself. It felt like I was living for somebody else. And Deborah has her own experience and version of this. And I just think it's so, so powerful. And for me, as I think back on our conversation, it's really about, you know, how do we take each of our lived experiences and really help to shape and create an inclusive environment for all, regardless of where we are, that allows us to bring all those facets of our journey into the picture and into the conversation. So a little bit about Deborah. Deborah Gibson earned her undergraduate degree. She went on to earn her master's degree, a JD, and an LLM in law and policy. She served as a real estate developer and as a contract analyst. Fed up with the rat race, in 2020, she left a lucrative position to discover what she really wanted. The answer led her to a tech company, which was recently granted an initial investment, which she plans to use to explore social justice issues. You can find Deborah at her podcast, Dear Michelle Obama, and also on Facebook at Dear Michelle 4, and also on her website, dearmichelle.libsyn.com backslash website. I really hope that you enjoy my conversation with Deborah. She is just a magical human, and I truly enjoyed getting to know her during our conversation and then afterwards as well. And I think that you will find this conversation fascinating. And most importantly, have a very, very happy holiday season and a safe, happy, and healthy ringing in of 2022. We will be off from content perspective next week and back the week of January 3rd um, for some R&R. I'm going to practice what I preach. I'm going to unplug. And I hope you all do too. So enjoy my conversation with Deborah. Deborah, I am so excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I know this is going to be such an amazing conversation just based on what we've been talking about since before we hit record. So why don't we jump right in if that works for you? Sure. I like to kick off our conversations asking the seemingly simple question, what is the truth that you would like to share today? Wow. Um, so I honestly believe that I, I believe two things. One is that it is possible to survive literally anything, but I think that the that we're taught incorrectly how to survive. I think that the goal should not be survival, but thriving. So instead of surviving through issues, we should be taught to thrive through issues because that journey helps to encourage us, but it also helps to fortify 
and give us strength along the way. And I just don't think that enough people are taught that. And so we, a lot, oftentimes I think we get stuck at survival when I don't think that that is actually the end goal. I knew I was going to enjoy this conversation. Um, that that is so. I, I want to unpack so much in that. So so tell me a little bit more. How did you come to sort of that conclusion? So I grew up in a really challenging situation. So I, I want to make it clear from the start that I grew up in a family that was really loving. But my relationship with my mother was always really, really bad. And my father was not there. And so <clears throat> I, I hate to be the stereotype of what bad childhoods look like um, for people, but that was just my personal reality. And so I had to learn, it took me a long time to learn that sometimes the people that are supposed to love us don't necessarily love us in the ways that we need to be loved. Mm -hmm. And because they don't love us in the ways that we need to be loved, they can't therefore guide us through sort of the stickier parts of life, especially when those people have experienced trauma or when they inadvertently or advertently inflict trauma on the very people that they are placed in charge of loving. So that can pose a lot of challenges. So in my case, for example, by the time I was 21, four people had threatened to kill me. And one of those people was my father. And so <laughs> when you grow up like that, it's like the world is screaming at you that you don't belong and that you don't have a place in it. And it sends you spiraling, right? Because you want to feel like you have a place in the world and like, the, like you can be anchored. And yet there is no anchoring for children who grow up in environments like that. And I don't think that it was done with any malice. I think it was just people have to be taught how to love and not all of us are given those skills. Wow. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. And what's, what's coming up for me is, you know, given that environment, given, you know, your reflection on not everyone is, is taught those skills for love, you know, I'm curious, how, how did you go from, because I think a lot of people listening are like, how do you survive that first of all, right? And then to go from, you know, your point of surviving to thriving and really thriving is the goal, you know, what did that journey look like for you? That journey was long and arduous, but I think it starts with this core belief that no matter what happens to me, I'm going to get through it. Like, I don't care, you have to have nerves of steel to be able to thrive through certain things, right? And to really, and you have to have a point of view about, you have, there's almost an arrogance about it, right? That says, I don't care what you say, I matter, and I'm going to plant myself here and stay here and grow through this, even though you won't give me sunlight or water or ground me in any particular way. And I think that 
that once you make up your mind that that is who you are going to be, I think all of the experiences around you sort of support that. So for example, in my case, I ended up, um, you know, my, so I, the example that I use is my hair. And you're like, what? That's kind of crazy. So I have hair that is, I'm African-American and I have hair that is really tightly coiled and my hair is thick and it is unruly. And I soon discovered that my mother who was not very, she couldn't, she had a difficult time showing affection. And I was a child who needed a lot of affection, but my mother was very like standoffish. And it always felt to me like, <clears throat> excuse me, like I was standing in front of my mother begging my mother to love me. And this, the, this sort of manifested whenever she would wash my hair, right? So she washed my hair and she fussed and screamed because my hair is just obnoxious and it does whatever it wants to do. But so my mother would fight my hair. What I loved about my hair is that it would fight back. And so I love my hair's unruliness because it, it became my ability to be able to say no to my mother without me actually having to say no to her. Mm -hmm. And I just absolutely fell in love with my hair for that reason. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I, I as someone who has also unruly curly hair, uh, <laughs> and, which has admittedly taken me a very long time to love, um, I love that you embraced it from the beginning. Absolutely. Abs absolutely. It was the counterpoint to, and it was a, such a small thing, right? But I think sometimes we find ourselves in situations where <clears throat> it's difficult to find something to love. And so for me, the thing that I fell in love with first about myself was my hair. And so it's really interesting, you know, as we talk about what love is, um, I think that you, that kids first learn to love themselves through the lens of how their parents love them, right? So if your parents see you as having a, as if your parents see you as someone who has a purpose in life and they're actually happy and joyful that you're in their lives and you're there, I think that creates a very different relationship than if the parent is sort of, yeah, you're here and I have to feed, clothe, and house you, but this is the extent of what my love, and I put that in quote, air quotes, is going to look like. The, that <laughs> Children raised in those very different homes, I think on the other end, have the potential to turn out very, very different if all things are held equal. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think I, from there, I, you know, I don't know, I have thought a lot about what it means to love yourself and what it means to thrive in situations that were not meant for you to, to thrive. I want to unpack that, that last piece a little bit more, because I think that what, when you were talking about, you know, I matter and I'm going to stay here and I'm going to, I'm going to, to, to be strong and against sort of like all the odds, right? What was coming up for me was just thinking about as a, as a woman in 
in a society that like was built for men, frankly. Um, you know, in my experience, when I have been strong and, and stood up, you know, it hasn't always been met kindly. It's the nicest <laughs> way to put it. Um, there's a few other choice words that I could throw out there. And I'm, so I'm just curious, you know, what has that experience been like for you as, as you, you know, you, you grew up in these situations and you were like, no, like, I'm going to love my hair. I'm going to love me despite all of the, what I would, these are my words, this, the swirl going on around you, you know, what did that look like? And, and, you know, am I making any sense? <laughs> Absolutely. So there's two pieces. The first is that <clears throat> what that looked like was a lot of trauma, right? And trauma can look like, um, you know, your father putting you and your mother out and making you homeless for a day. Wow. It can look like, you know, the night that your father tells you that if you ever open your mouth inadvertently and tell your mom that he's cheating on her, he will kill you. It can look like, um, you know, the, the, the men who um, thought that it was okay to like hold guns to my head and told me that I needed to shut up or that I didn't deserve to have a voice. But here's what I say. <clears throat> You know, I, I spent later in my life, I spent a lot of time, I spent about 10 years in the military. And while I was in that environment, there were, it's a very male dominated environment. And there were always men who would say to me, <clears throat> you need to shut up. So I was literally punished a lot for speaking my mind in that environment. And this is not a slight on the army. I think it's a great place to be. But I think it's a great place to be for, pe for, for women at that time. And not in all instances at all, right? But I think it, that it can be the kind of environment where um, women are told to shut up and, and listen. And I'm not a very shut up and listen kind of girl. Like I have real thoughts and real ideas and I want to make, I do whatever it is I can to make my thoughts and ideas tangible and heard, you are absolutely right that there are consequences. So I have agreed to accept the consequences that come along with, with my mouth, but I will not be silenced. Like I'm a very in your face kind of girl. And that is, but not in a way that is bullying or malicious in any way. It's very much, I have, I have very clearly defined boundaries placed around me. And if you cross those invisible lines, you will hear about it. <laughs> I will not be kind about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that can be, you know, and I'm, I'm a little bit over five, nine. So that, that <laughs> can be imposing to some people. And what I, what I, so I guess I'm saying that I'm not a person who would do well with a Karen. So I do my best to try to avoid, avoid those situations. Now I kind of want to see you with a Karen. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you. First of all, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I love, I love what you're saying because I think so often 
as women intentionally or not, we are told to shut up and listen, right? Like I think about so many moments in my, my corporate career and even outside of corporate, right? Of, and I don't like, you know, if I think about like most of the instances, I don't think people are intentionally being malicious. Some are, but like a smaller, obviously a smaller percentage. Um, and I just love hearing how other women have worked through those scenarios for themselves. So thank you. Yes, I, I have <clears throat> tended not to remain in spaces where I'm not seen or heard, right? And, and that's not to say that I have to always be seen or heard, right? So it's not that I'm saying that my voice has to be the only voice that resonates. What I am saying is that we, I, I'm always looking to reach the middle ground. And, but there are some people, and I hate to say this, but I think this is true. There are some people that just will not be negotiated with, right? They, they will never see the middle. They will never understand that you have a place in the world. And I think the more other, and I put other in quotation marks that you happen to be, the less likely some people are to see you as valid or, or to honor or respect the fact that you have an opinion and an opinion that may differ from theirs. What I have experienced a lot in particular in workplaces has been people who have been, like I have worked for companies and I've saved companies like millions and millions of dollars. And I have been punished for it repeatedly. And it took me a long time to realize that every time you save a company a dollar, somebody's job and life potentially changes on the other side of that change. Mm -hmm. And so the, so what people are grappling with isn't so much you. The struggle is really with that change on the other side that you can't that you you can't see and you don't have a vision for and so i've had to learn to be very strategic and very cautious in the ways that i do that to the point where um, in the past i work for myself now but in the past when i interviewed for jobs i would say to people this is what I bring to the table. And if you are, are ever uncomfortable with that, just let me know and I can certainly scale it back. I, I can't, my mind sees patterns in things and sometimes I can't control that I will see a better way forward in those patterns. So it's, it's a complicated um, mix. And again, you don't expect someone with my particular background to be able to see complex, you don't expect people with my background to be able to see complexities, nor do I think people think people with my background can think strategically. And so that's constantly posing a problem where who I am is always an affront to people who don't like change or to people who don't, who are not, who are uncomfortable with themselves. Well, that's what it was interesting when you were talking, you know, what was coming up for me was, you know, change is scary. The other side, right? The other side of change. And I think the other thing um, that I want to touch on when you're talking about sort of like trying to seek the middle ground 
and I'm curious your perspective on this. To me, that's all about connection, right? You can't, and this is like my sales background coming in, but when you're building a relationship, when you're building a connection with somebody, even if their their background or belief or values are different from yours, you can't seek to change them, quote unquote, like change them if you're not willing to like listen to their perspective or hear hear them out. Um, and so it's always fascinating to me you know, when people are just like bombarding, like change, change, change. And it's like, well, change is scary to, to a lot of people. Right. And so I'm, I'm curious, you know, in, in thinking through different, you know, experiences that you've had, you know, how have you sought that middle ground? Like how, what has like connection looked like for you? Um, because I also agree with you. There is also that percentage of people that just are never willing to, to, you know, they're just not willing to, to come to the middle or at least even be open to like sharing their perspective so that you can sort of like reach a, a middle ground. Um, so, so I think the middle for me, so th this is the way that my brain works. If you, I'm very much a problem solver. So if you, and the bigger the problem, the more active my brain will, <laughs> will, will work sort of solve, to solve that problem and so um i'm very much a big picture thinker but so I, and so i hate to bring religion into this but I, I i solve problems in the way that i think that god universe source whatever you choose to call it um created the the universe and the way that i think that that worked is that there is an intelligent design that said I want this to happen and then that, and saw that through to the very end of time, right? But in order for that to get from A to Z, you have to back up and put the individual steps into place. And so once I figure out what the solution is, I then back up and begin to prepare the steps that I think need to be taken in order for the plan to go into effect. At some point you reach a middle point where you say, ah, Perhaps if I get pushback, the pushback will come from here, 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 and here. And if you know what those trigger points are, you can sort of manage and negotiate around that perspective because you, you know that there's a middle. And if you see that the other person is still giving you pushback, then you can sort of scale back from your perspective. Meanwhile, I think so strategically that typically when people say, um, when people say to me, well, I'm not interested in this, I figure out a plan. And can I, can I give you a, an example of this? Yeah, of course. So I, I work for a quasi-public profit, quasi-public private nonprofit organization. And so my goal was to build housing. And in that, there was a piece of land that constricted the building. And they'd had five other people who had this job before me that could not solve this problem. So I get hired and I come on board and they say, well, we've had this issue and we can't unbundle, unentangle this land, this land. And I said, have you tried calling the person? They said, oh, don't call the person will never give. And I said, well, I have some, some skills. Let me see what I can do. So I'll call the guy. And the guy's like, I don't want to talk to me. He hangs up. And I, so I, I said, okay, I'm just going to call you every day until you're willing to have this conversation with me. And so after about a week of this, he finally picks up the phone. 
And he and I say to him, why won't you sell your property? And the guy says, my grandmother immigrated to this country and this was the property that she purchased. And so it just means a lot to me. And I said to him, well, I can have a solution to that. How about if we get a marker and how about if we put a brick on the sidewalk outside the house that has your, your grandmother's initials in it? And therefore, everyone who walks down the street or who stands in front of the property will always have to in some way acknowledge your grandmother. And the guy said, why didn't the other five people mention that to me? And he agreed to sell. So that was the middle ground. You have to find out what people really want and what the choke point is and then back up and sort of negotiate with them about how to get there. A hundred percent, right? You you were able to identify his his need, right? Like exactly. you made him see, feel seen and heard. Not not made him feel like you you saw him, you heard him, and then you presented a solution. Exactly. And that's all. Like to me, when I think about connection and relationships, it that's it. Like we all just want to be seen and heard. Right. And I think that you know, the whole intention of my podcast, right, is in sharing stories with one another, it allows us to open up opportunities. You know, the way that I was raised was was different than you, but I feel a connection to you, even though we're doing this over Zoom. Maybe one day we can meet up in Cleveland. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Without my child vomiting in, in, in front of the stadium. Um, but... But when you're able to inherently understand where someone is coming from, I think that makes all the difference. And so I'm, I'm curious, as, we, as we're talking about building connection and, and relationships, you know, what's, what's your theory in relationships? <laughs> so glad you asked me that question. Okay. So um, I, I have actually a prof- what I think is profound, maybe other people might not think that is the question or may not think so, but because of my troubled relationship with my mother, right? I've discovered that I was frustrated in that relationship because I kept asking the same question over and over and over again. And the question was, will you love me unconditionally? And I don't care how many times I asked that question, my mother's answer was always no. Like, like if you do like, so for my mother, I had to do these certain things and be this certain person. Like she wanted me to be a lot quieter. She wanted me to curse less. Like there's all these things that my mother (laughs) wanted wanted me to to do and be that I just, I just couldn't. Right. So, because I think when you are, when you are striving to be authentically you, even when you're journey journey, when you're trying, when you're on your journey to get there, you, there's a lot of pushback, right? Cause you don't want that self, that true center to be compromised. So at any rate, I kept asking this question. And then one day it sort of hit me. Well, what if you're asking her the wrong question? So what if you change the nature of the question that you ask your mother? What happens to your relationship if that happens? And so I just decided to ask her a complete, ask of her a completely different question. And that question was, is the woman who, did the woman who raised me give me gifts? And the second that I asked 
that question. The, the list was so long, I finally just ran out of space. So I, what I, so what I concluded about relationships is this. At some level, even in terms of, of our interaction, right, as we sort of discuss, um, have this discussion over Zoom, my, I have a question that you can answer and you have a question that I can answer. And what I've concluded is that as long as our questions and answers align, we can have the perfect relationship, right? So like, let's say my question to you is, hey, will you be a great host um, on your podcast? And your question to me is, hey, will you be a great guest? As long as your, my answer to you is yes, and your answer to me is yes, we can be in relationship where problems exist is either where you're not clear about what your question is to me or where my answer, it suffers, right? So if my answer is out of alignment with what your question is, so let's say you are the perfect host, but I am a really, really bad guest, which actually may be the case, right? <laughs> we'll let the audience decide that. But let's say I'm a really, really bad guest. We can't remain in relationship because we're not in alignment. And so I think at some level, our souls ask questions of the people that we encounter all the time. Well, I don't think we're always clear about what those questions are though. And so because we're not clear about the question, I think that gives some of us trouble in terms of what our answers are. But I think, and, and so I had someone say to me, that's a very academic way of looking at relationships. And I said, for me, that may be true, but for me, it helps to clarify relationships in a way that doesn't get bogged down in the emotion of it, right? So you can, because you can always negotiate those questions, right? So maybe you're, you walk into a, a relationship with a partner, right? And you, your expectation is that your partner will always be faithful and always be loving and always be kind. But maybe a better question of that same partner would be, okay, so maybe I can't have all of those things, but can, can we work together as a business or work together as a team to build like these certain things, right? Maybe out in the world, or can we do something with our kids or what, whatever that looks like for you and, and your partner. And I just don't think we ever get to the place where we understand relationships well enough that that is um, where we get to. And because we don't, I think a lot of our relationships fail. What do you think gets in the way of getting to that part or that to that point in relationships? I think expectation is what keeps us from getting to that place. Because, you know, I, I, I was a child and so I had some... I was entitled to some level of expectation about what I needed from my mother, right? But she couldn't give it. And there was always this tension between the two of us, again, just because she she wasn't capable of giving me what I needed, right? 
my expectation was that she would just love, she would be the kind of mom who was like in the kitchen baking cookies every weekend. And, you know, <laughs> and, and she's like playing in my hair and, you know, we're skipping down the road. That just wasn't the kind of mom that she was. That doesn't, didn't mean necessarily that she was a bad mom. She just wasn't necessarily the type of mother. So I thought that I needed. And so my expectation was built around this expectation that she'd be someone that she wasn't. So I think in order to have good relationships and, and it requires you to adjust your expectations. And I don't think people are always willing to adjust their expectations, nor, it, nor are they willing to ask a question other than, will you love me unconditionally, right? Because that's everybody's question. Everybody thrive, everybody seeks to be loved unconditionally. I don't know if I think that that's possible. It's really interesting. I have like my, my, so I actually suspect our brains work very similarly. Um, and so uh, what's coming up for me is like expectation, but also we've been going back to like what we were talking about earlier and like living authentically, like who you are authentically, right? I think so many of us present ourselves with masks and armor, right? And are scared to be authentically who we are in all situations. And I'm not saying that like, you know, we should all be like telling our deepest, darkest secrets to like random strangers on the street, right? But like understanding who you are, like I think about my own journey and this is like a very bizarre example, but you know, I, I grew up my, my full name is Jessica. No one has ever called me Jessica unless I'm in trouble, but I was always Jesse. And as I got older though, I, like I went off to college and I still introduced myself as Jesse, but like my friends ended up like shortening to Jess and I made a conscious decision. This is like, I've never admitted this to anybody, but I made a conscious decision when I started at Google that I was going to be Jess and not no longer Jesse. And I think like, now like reflecting on it and, and you know spending a lot of time like doing some self-discovery and and self-love like I put up a wall and I sort of was like okay like I'm on this path now where I'm gonna like do what I'm supposed to like do what's expected of me um got the good job like got married struggled to have kids but eventually had them right and it was just like one foot in front of another and I eventually like lost myself and so I'm curious if this resonates with you like there's that expectation yes and I wonder if part of it though is so many of us aren't necessarily like living our authentic lives I think the reason that we don't live our authentic life is because there's a second part to the my sort of um my answer about what a what defines a relationship and that second part is this that there's not just the relationships between say two people or however many people right there's also the question that you ask of life and i think there's a level of expectation built into that that so, oftentimes gets co-opted because we base it on what society tells us should be fulfilling for us right mm -hmm. so you got to get 
you got to get married by this time and you have to have this many kids and, and you have to be married to this type of partner and you have to, it gets all of these expectations that, and I think women in particular are, are weighted with that, right? So if you choose to be someone who, like I have two kids, but I'm unmarried, right? And, you know, woe unto me that I had kids, <laughs> <laughs> I had kids out of wedlock and, you know, curses, you know, the, the planet is going to shut down. Oh, no. You know, so, so people will like judge you and criticize you for anything that deviates away from what society tells you you have to do and you have to be. Like you have to, like, so for example, women are taught, we spoke about this earlier, right? So women are taught to be sort of quiet and don't say anything and you should know your place. I am very much not that woman. And I had to finally just have a come to Jesus meeting with myself and say, girl, what are you doing? Like every time you try to squeeze yourself into this box, the box falls apart and then you're left there like booing and crying in your Cheerios and wondering you know, what's, what's down the road. But it's all because you're not authentic. Stop trying to fit into boxes that don't belong to you. In fact, how about if we just do away with the box altogether and don't even deal with boxes to begin with? And so I... I I did that with relationships. I've done that with work, right? So I quit my last job and I decided that that would very likely be the last time that I worked for someone else. I, I'm, there are some people who are meant to, and I get it. There are some people who are meant to do the nine to five. And I thought I can do the nine to five but what I really want to do is I want to think about big problems and I want to get paid to think about those big problems, right? <laughs> I want to, I want to come up with, with, with solutions to, to problems that impact a lot of people. And so I had to figure out a way to structure my life to make that possible. That is such a gamble, right? Because again, that is not what we're taught. We're taught go to college. I have more degrees than a thermometer, but we're taught. <laughs> Never know, heard that before. We're taught, go to college, take on the debt. If you can't afford to pay for it, get out of college, go, go work at a job that pays you and take, you know, two weeks worth of vacation. It just didn't work for me. And I've never been happy in that kind of environment. I had to figure it out. I had to figure out how to craft the life that I wanted to live, right? And so um, in, the, in, the, in the culture of my teenage daughter, it's called, you know, sort of living your best life. And so I had to figure out how to, what living my best life really looked like and what it meant. It has been a, it has been such an evolution, but it's been, it's been inspiring to say the least, but it's also had some challenges, but I'm okay with the challenges because I know that on the other side of those challenges is a life that I get to feel like I have control over. And that is what's most important to me. That is me living my authentic, purest definition of what a life is. And so specifically when I asked 
myself, when I asked life a question, my question was this, can I make the world a better place for as many people as possible? And can I do it in a way that allows me to solve a big problem? And life said, yes. I'm very fortunate and very blessed in that capacity because I know that this is a gift that not a lot of people are entitled to. But what I can say, and I can honestly say that there was nothing about the way that I grew up, absolutely positively nothing, that would predict that I would have this life. Nothing, nothing. I, am, I grew up in probably the wrong neighborhood, I'm the wrong gender, the wrong race. <laughs> I talk too much. Nothing predicted that this would or could happen for me. But when I tell you every day I wake up and I, um, the first thing that I say when I wake up is thank you because I have a life that I am truly and profoundly grateful for. I am. <laughs> I love that. I have goosebumps. All right, Deborah. I've loved this conversation as I suspected I would. So thank you. Um, I want to round us out with three. Um, I don't know what I'm going to call these yet, but like heart opener, quick fire. I'm going to noodle with it and, and figure out what I call them. But three quick questions. Um, are you up for it? Yes, I'm excited. <laughs> awesome. All right. Um, so my theme, I, I, I want to ask you this question in particular because I'm excited for your answer. Um, my theme for 2021, what year are we in? 2021 <laughs> is, it's been, it's been a long 2021, um, is, is fuck the handcuffs. Yes. So I'm curious when you hear that phrase, what comes up for you? It is the freedom to be authentically yourself. And to, to live in that truth, no matter who tells you you shouldn't. That's what that means to me. I love it. The first three words that come to mind when I ask you, who are you? Authentic, bold, and fierce. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Um, and finish the sentence, vulnerability is? The ability to be able to have patience with yourself and with other people as you learn what your question of those other people happens to be and what your answer is. That's a good one. Thank you. Deborah. I've loved this conversation and I truly hope we stay in contact. How can people continue to follow you on your journey? So I have a can I shout out my podcast? Uh, you can shout out whatever you want. Yeah. So I have a podcast called Dear Michelle, and it's a cartoon version of myself. And I have on like a purple shirt. And so you'll, you'll find it. It's called, again, Dear Michelle. And so you can always Google my podcast. Also, um, I can be reached at Dear Michelle 4, the number 4, um, or Dear Michelle at yahoo.com. Or you can tweet me, I'm sorry, at Dear Michelle 4. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I have to, I'll, I'll just plug. Dear Michelle is awesome. And, oh, thank you. and I, I don't think I said this to you before I hit record, but I, I think I've been doing like my own podcast research like months ago and I came across your podcast and I like made a mental 
like note to like follow up and I, I never did. So I'm so grateful that like we connected because then when I was prepping for this conversation, I was like, oh, like I know this. <laughs> so it was very fortuitous. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, Deborah, thank you so much um, for this conversation. I've, I've truly appreciated it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If something in the conversation resonated with you, please, please share it with a friend that you think needs to hear this conversation. Feel free to tag me on social media. Let me know how you're listening, where you're listening, and what resonated. Tag me at This Is My Truth Podcast or feel free to shoot me a DM. And because we're a new podcast and this shit matters, I would love for you to leave me a rating and review. Tell me how you truly feel. This entire podcast is about vulnerability and authenticity. So let me know how you really feel and give me some feedback. I really appreciate it.